Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to another episode. I think we're on episode 22 now. Um, today it's just going to be me. Adam has finals week coming up so he's a little bit more busy. Um, but I've been wanting to do this topic for a while. Um, so subhanAllah it's perfect right now because I wanted to share this beautiful topic with you guys. But I'm not going to tell you what exactly the topic is. But I'm going to start off sharing uh, like three stories. Okay. And there's a common overall theme within these three stories, and it kind of ties all together um, in the third story, and the message is in the third story. So just sit back, relax, and take a listen. So we're going to take a look at the seerah of the Prophet Muhammad So the seerah is basically um, the Prophet's life, like the story of his life. So we're going to go all the way to the beginning, not to the beginning of his life, but to the beginning of when the Prophet Muhammad attained revelation. So... Around the age of 40, it was a common practice for the Prophet Muhammad to go to Cave Hira, um, which is a cave near Mecca, a little bit away from Mecca. Um, and he would go there and he would just like observe the people. He would observe like nature, um, basically practicing like meditation and self-like isolation. Um, and he was able to see like his whole city from Mecca when he was in Cave Hira. And he was like his heart was always attached to his people like he always feared for them he wanted them to become better people and let's he would go there to contemplate essentially like how he was going to be able to help everyone and one day um out of the norm when he was at cave hira we know that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him the first revelation with jibreel and the prophet muhammad he saw jibreel in his actual form i think like either two or three times and this was the first time so Jibreel appeared to the Prophet Muhammad and so Jibreel appeared to the Prophet Muhammad and he told him Iqra. He told him to read. And we know that the Prophet Muhammad and this is actually like a further proof that the Quran is not his words, but it's the word of Allah. The Prophet Muhammad was illiterate, so he didn't know how to read or write. So this random angel is telling him to read. And it's scary. Like, Jibreel's voice was scary. He was very big. And he told him to read. And the Prophet Muhammad he said, Like, I, I don't know how to read. And this figure, or like Jibreel, squeezed him again and said, Read. And he said again, I, I don't know, like, I don't know how to read. So he squeezed him again and he said, اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم القلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم and I think we took a look at this at the the Quran revelation or not the Quran revelation the Quran tafsir um, that we were doing during the last 10 nights of Ramadan this was the first revelation that came to the Prophet and this is what actually made him a, uh, a Prophet and so he told him to read in the name of your Lord the Lord who created from a drop of blood and taught man that which he did not know and after he told him this, Jibreel alayhi salam, he told the Prophet Muhammad sallam, that I am Jibreel, the messenger of Allah, sent to the messengers. So Jibreel is the messenger of the angels, sent to the messengers of the human. And he introduced the Prophet Muhammad sallam, to Allah. He said, you are the Prophet of Allah. And then he introduced him to himself. He said, and you are, his, like, you are basically his Prophet. So this is Allah, this is me Jibreel, and that you are his Prophet. And then Jibreel left. 
So right after the Prophet ﷺ had gotten revelation in this scary moment that Jibreel was like squishing him, he just disappeared. And as the Prophet ﷺ got up and he got away from Cave Hira and he was on his way back home to the Khadija, Jibreel came to him once again. And this time Jibreel came in his authentic form. So the first time Jibreel came in the form of a man, this time Jibreel came in his authentic form, covering the whole sky with like pearls and rubies coming out of his wings. One of his wings covered the whole sky and he has 60 wings, imagine. And he like, it's kind of to like further emphasize. He told the Prophet Muhammad again, he said, I am, the, I am indeed Jibreel and you are indeed the messenger of Allah. So kind of just to like reiterate it because it, like when you see something like that, when especially when you're in a cave, like you might feel like, oh, was I hallucinating? Was I seeing something for real? So it's like, it's like authenticating it. Like, no, you, what you saw was real. So the Prophet Muhammad he went to Khadija and he told Khadija everything and Khadija took him to his cousin, his cousin who was knowledgeable and he like further authenticated that and he told him that you were an angel and that this angel came to all of the messengers from before. It came to the messenger Musa and Ibrahim and all of them. So have no doubt that you are in true, indeed the Prophet of Allah. And so the Prophet Muhammad he like, after he got this kind of, you can say like, he felt like better, like he knew like it was real. He kind of just didn't know what to do because Jibreel came to him and he just said Iqra and that's it. He just left. Okay, so like I'm a messenger, I'm a prophet now, what do I do? So he went out back on his way like in the desert, kind of just taking some more self-isolation time. And this is when Jibreel came one more time. And Jibreel told him that once again that you are indeed the prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this time also like he scared the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa so the Prophet went home to Khadija and he told, this is a famous verse, so we, say, we know that the Rasul says, Zamiluni, Zamiluni, Dathiruni, Dathiruni. Because he was so scared, he was telling Khadija to like cover him and to wrap him up. Because this time Jibreel came and he was even more forceful, telling him, You are the Prophet um, and that you are indeed the Messenger of Allah. And this is when Jibreel came once again and he told him, He revealed the verses, Ya ayyuhal muddathir, qum fa'andir. He revealed, O oh, you who is wrapped up in the mantle. Get up and call people to the way of Allah. Get up and end it. Call the people. So before like you even like further explain that statement, just understand what information did the Prophet Muhammad have at this time. All he had was the first couple of verses from Surah Al-Alaq and the fact that he was a messenger and that Jibreel was an angel. And this is literally all the Prophet Muhammad had. And he had he was sent to a people who were so ignorant, like if he just told them this, like they probably like he like they didn't believe. I mean, he, I don't know if he knew. I don't think he knew that, but like he was sent to such a stubborn people too. But this began the mission. Mission. These two words, ya ayuhal mudathir, qum faandir. These two verses began the mission that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu embarked on for the next twenty three years of his life, with one simple message, where he called to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. He suffered for this cause. If it wasn't for the Prophet Muhammad we wouldn't have the deen that we have today. Because he is the one who taught the companions through the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they are the ones that altogether collectively got, gathered the deen and fought for the deen for us to be able to have the Quran that we read today and to have the, the knowledge that we have, of course, with, from the will of Allah, but also from the will of all of these people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them the ability to preserve the deen for us. So that's the first story. The second story that I want to look at is a story that I think um, a lot of people generally know, but it's when the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he went to Ta'if. 
So after calling his people to um, Islam and after he got the revelation, calling people of Mecca, the people of Mecca like were just not, they were not listening. They were really arrogant. They didn't, they didn't want to stop worshipping their idols. So the Rasul he took a trip to Ta'if. So as the Prophet Muhammad got into Ta'if, he spent three days knocking on the doors of everyone. So Ta'if is a little city. Um, it's away from Mecca. I think it's like, it's a pretty long walk. Like, of course, the Prophet Sallallahu like, walked it or, like, with his camel and stuff. But I think it takes either, like, a couple days. I might, or a couple hours. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I know it's long. Um, but he spent three days calling the people to Islam, calling the people of Ta'if to come to the deen of Islam, you know, doing this, Ya Yuhal Mudathir, Qum Fa'andir, doing this job that the Prophet Muhammad was sent for. And in the end, they didn't, like, they didn't, they didn't submit to the message that the Prophet Muhammad came with. So the Prophet, he told the leaders of the city, like, if you're not going to accept my religion, then please at least don't tell other people that you didn't accept it. Like, don't go out and tell people that I came to you and you rejected it. Kind of just to kind of preserve, I guess, the image of the Rasul and to not get other people to like mock him and to not accept the deen as well. And they did the exact opposite. So as the Prophet Muhammad was leaving the city of Ta'if, the people of Ta'if, they sent all of their kids and their wives with pebbles and they threw all of these rocks at the Prophet Muhammad and they called him names and humiliated him to the point where like his sandals were filled with blood. And like just imagine you spent three days calling people to Islam. All you're saying is just say la ilaha illallah. Just one simple statement. You're not telling people like to do anything crazy. And you leave the city with people mocking you and throwing rocks at you and humiliating you. So the Prophet Muhammad as he walks out the city of Ta'if, and it was just him and his adopted son Zayd. As he leaves this, he, he sits right outside of the city of Ta'if. And the Prophet Muhammad is just, he makes a beautiful dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where he basically attributes what happened in Ta'if from his own mistake. Like, this just shows you how humble the Prophet Muhammad was. So he basically made a dua telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if you're mad at me or like whatever happened, like it was from my own mistake. He's basically asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. And he didn't know what to do. Like he didn't know where to go from there. So he's basically asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help him and to guide him to what he should do next. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sends Jibreel with another angel who is in charge of the mountains. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically gives the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu permission to basically destroy the city of Ta'if. So this angel who's in charge of the mountains, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had gave him permission if the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu wanted to, to pick up the two mountains. So Ta'if is like a city in between two mountains. So he gave them permission to pick up the, the two mountains and crush them on the city of Ta'if. So literally everyone would be like die in a split second. Because of the pain that they caused the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu And this just shows you how much of a rahmah. Because Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says, That we only sent you as a mercy to not even people, but all of creation. Alameen. And this is a whole other topic. But the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu was truly in and of himself patience. And not patience, I mean like mercy to all of mankind, to all of creation. Like just a simple, simple, simple story. But one time, 
in the Prophet Muhammad there was a bird and she was like, she came to the Prophet and she was complaining to the Prophet. Imagine. And she was in so much pain, she was like chirping and, and the Prophet understood her and he turned to his companions and he said, who took the eggs of this, of this mother? And the companion said, we took and we took them. And the Prophet said, and he said, give them back to her. Like, These are her kids. And she's coming to me to complain. Like, that's just how much of a mercy. So the Prophet Muhammad, he told the angel that he doesn't want, he doesn't want to crush the city of Ta'if. For verily, maybe someone from this city would decide to accept Islam later in the future. And subhanAllah, there's a man, there's this one kid, he was 17 years old. His name was Muhammad ibn Qasim al-Thaqafi. So al-Thaqafi is attributing to where he's from. And al-Thaqafi comes from the word Ta'if. And he was a 17-year-old who actually aslam from the city of Ta'if. And he traveled to the area, like the area near the subcontinent of like Pakistan and Malaysia. And he's the one who spread Islam to that area of the world. So essentially, all of those people who are missing me from Pakistan, Malaysia, Bali, um, that area was, of course, from the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But from this one guy who came from the city of Ta'if, subhanAllah. Like, you see the vision of the Prophet Muhammad Imagine how many people, I mean, they probably would have been Muslims, but still, like, how many people, uh, like, the Rasul just, like, spread Islam to by, by his mercy and his rahmah. So the Prophet he said he didn't want to. So the angels left and... There was a little, there was a servant, a slave, who was owned by two Christian men who owned an orchard right next to the city of Ta'if. And they saw the Prophet Muhammad and they saw the state that he was in, so they felt bad for him. So they sent their servant to the Prophet Muhammad with, I think it was either grapes or wine. Um, I'm not sure, I think it was grapes. But they sent him to the Prophet, so the slave essentially is coming to the Prophet. And I think it was grapes, but he gave them to the Prophet Muhammad like to kind of to give them to, to eat. And so right before the Prophet ate them, he said, Bismillah. So the servant kind of looked at him and he's like, I've heard this before. Like, like, where did you get that from? And he basically told him that I'm the servant of Allah. And he explained to him about Islam. And the servant was from a city called Nineveh. And this is the city... Um, that I'm not sure, I think it was Prophet Yunus um, was from, and he was sent there. So the Prophet Muhammad he knew about like the previous prophets, and when he started talking to him, the servant actually accepted Islam. And subhanAllah, like, it kind of just like reminded the Prophet Muhammad of what his mission was, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, sent him for, Ya ayyuhal madathir, qum fa'anthir. And when he went to the city of Ta'if, it was hard because they rejected him. And essentially, like, when you plan on doing something, like, take it into your own life. And then that thing fails, you get discouraged. So you end up, you kind of don't want to do it anymore. But subhanAllah, right after people had completely humiliated him, and Allah gave him the permission to destroy them, he sent him a servant who accepted Islam to kind of remind him of his mission. To kind of remind him of what he was sending for as well. So that's the second story. The third story that I want to share is 22 years later. So 22 years later, after the first revelation of Iqra, when the Prophet Muhammad was 40 years old in Cave Hira, 140,000 
people, 140, wait, 140,000. I don't know how to count, guys. 140,000 people traveled with the Prophet Muhammad to Mecca to make Hajj. Imagine. 22 years before, it was the Prophet himself only. Qum Now, 22 years later, 140,000 people are migrating with the Prophet Muhammad They're traveling to Mecca to make Hajj. After the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, which allowed them to, to go back to Mecca to make Hajj. And there's a narration that takes place on this day that is the most authentic hadith ever. Because it has so many chains of narrations. So many people were there on this day to witness this hadith and the saying of the Prophet Muhammad Um, So there's so many like narrations and so many different people who tell it. The most authentic version comes from uh, Umar, Umar ibn al-Khattab. Because he was the closest to the Prophet on that day. Like he was standing physically closest to him. So this happened on the day of Arafat. The Prophet Muhammad he um, stood on a little rock, like a little mountain basically. And he gathered all of his companions on the day of Arafat. So the day of Arafat is already like a very tough day. It's a day where you just spend the whole day making dua um, from Fajr to Maghrib. And it's meant to remind us of the day of judgment. Because you're on an open plain, there's literally nothing. Um, and we know the day of judgment, like the day of Hashid is just an open plain. And you're just making dua to Allah. That he saves you from that day. So all of his companions and everyone was, was gathered there. And the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam delivers his farewell sermon. Which is a really well-known sermon. And I think there's pits and parts that people know. But main things that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did is he's kind of just um, telling his companions and telling his nation... Like the truth of Islam, you know, here in this farewell sermon, the Prophet Muhammad he ended tribalism. So making everyone equal, showing that no one person is higher than others, whether you're, you're black, you're white, you're Asian, you're African, no matter what it is, because we're all united on the kalima of la ilaha illallah. And that's what makes us equal and united in the sight of Allah, not the fact that I'm white and that you're black or whatever. Um... Um, but I'm going to read some, it's a long sermon, but I'm going to read some parts that I think are, I think like the most um, beneficial to us. But there's a small snippet where the Prophet Muhammad he says, Beware of satin for the safety of your religion. He has lost all hope that he will ever be able to lead you astray in big things. So beware of following him in small things. And we see this, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, In the footsteps of shaitan. Um, the Prophet Muhammad he says, O oh people, it is true that you have certain rights with regards to your women, but they also have rights over you. Remember that you have taken them as your wives only under Allah's trust and with his permission. If they abide by your right, then to them belongs the right to be fed and clothed in kindness. Do treat your women well and be kind to them, for they are your partners and committed helpers. And it is your right that they do not make friends with any of those who you, whom you do not approve, as well as never to be unchaste. So Allah, we see the Prophet Wasallam. He, he emphasizes a lot, you know, like being respectful to the women. And we did a whole episode um, talking about the rights of women in Islam and how essentially it was the deen of Islam that gave women back their right and their dignity. And then the Rasul he goes on to say, O people, listen to me in earnest. Worship Allah. Say your five daily prayers. Fast during the month of Ramadan. And give your wealth in zakat. Perform hajj if you can afford it. All of mankind is from Adam and Eve. An Arab has no superiority over a non-Arab, nor a non-Arab has any superiority over an Arab. Also, a white has no superiority over black, nor a black has any superiority over white, except by pity, 
essentially like by taqwa. And that's what differentiates us in the sight of Allah. It's not by your money, your wealth, anything. It's by how much taqwa, how much um, ihsan and iman that you have. Learn that every Muslim brother is a brother to every Muslim. And that the Muslim constitutes of one brotherhood. Nothing shall be legitimate to a Muslim which belongs to a fellow Muslim unless it was given freely and willingly. Do not therefore do unjust to, your, to yourselves. Remember one day you will appear before Allah and answer your deeds. So, be, so beware. Do not stray from the path of righteousness after I am gone. The Rasul then goes on to say, um, Reason well therefore, O people, and understand words which I convey to you. I leave behind me two things, the Quran and my example, as in the Sunnah. If you follow these, you will never go astray. And then the Rasul he makes a statement, and we know, of course, this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who gave him the wahi. Um, he said this statement, and this is essentially what I want to focus on. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu he said, All those who listen to me shall pass on my words to others, and those to others again. And may the last one understand my words better than those whom listen to me directly. Be my witness, O Allah, that I have conveyed your message to your people. And this hadith is narrated in Sahih Bukhari. So this last part, the Rasul he's telling you, he's telling the, the companions essentially to convey the message to those that come after. For verily, one who comes after might understand it better than your own self. And this is why we, as the, the, the nation of the Prophet Muhammad are the best nation ever. And this is hadith, is an example and an evidence for it. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in the Quran of the previous nations, of the previous prophets, that all they were asked to do was to do salah, to do zakat, to do their ibadah. That's it. That's all they were asked for. For us, as the nation of the Prophet Muhammad one of the biggest things that we are commanded to do, that was not commanded to any of the nations before, was nahi anil munkar wal amal bil ma'roof, which is to call to good and to forbid the evil. Essentially, to guide people to the deen of Islam, to spread the message of Islam. And that's what makes us the best nations ever. Because from before, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was constantly sending prophets and messengers. So when one nation went astray, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would send a prophet or would send a messenger. They were the ones that were honored with the knowledge and with the, with the book and the message to reveal it to people. But we know that the Prophet Muhammad is Khatim al-Anbiya. He is the seal of all the prophets, Khatim al nubuwa There is no prophet that will ever come after the Prophet Muhammad We know Prophet Isa will come back down during the Day of Judgment, but that's a whole other story. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala passed this torch of guidance and passed this torch of guiding people to Islam, being messengers of the deen of Islam from the prophets to a nation. And that's our nation. And this hadith, this narration from Sahih Bukhari, from the Prophet Muhammad during the farewell Hajj on the day of Arafah is evidence to that. Because the Rasul told us to pass on this message. And that's essentially how we have this deen. If it weren't for all of the companions that passed on the message and people who kept on learning and learning and learning, we wouldn't have been able to have the deen that we have today. And the reason why I wanted to share the two other stories from before is because I wanted to provide examples for the from the Prophet Muhammad's life as him being a messenger. So we looked at when he first revealed when he first got revelation. And the first important command where the Prophet Muhammad was told, Qum get up and call people to Islam. That was the job of the Prophet. 
And we saw an example of that at his hardest moment in the day of Ta'if. When the day of Ta'if was the worst day of his life, Afikra. Like, I think it was Aisha who asked him during the day of uh, Badr, or no, the battle of Uhud. He was so hurt, like, so badly. And Aisha asked him, he's like, is this the worst day of your life? He said, no, it was Ta'if. The worst day of his life, where his message, his his job was to send people to Islam and they humiliated him. Right after, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? He sent him a servant who accepted Islam to remind him that you are here for qum fa'anzir. And then the farewell sermon, the Prophet Muhammad died not too long after this. What did he do? He passed on this qum fa'anzir to us. He passed on this torch of guidance to us. And that's what makes us the best nation. And then Allah, the Rasul he ends off by saying, Be my witness, O Allah, that I have conveyed your message to your people. This is a evidence against us, that we had the message, we had the guidance. We chose to either obey it and to listen to it and to implement it and follow it in our life or to disregard it. And I want to share another hadith, and it's a story that takes place between Prophet Musa and Allah. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was revealing the, the Torah, to Prophet Musa, Prophet Musa saw, he said, I saw in the Injil, which is the Torah, the Torah, that there's a nation that's going to come after. And this nation, he, he listed three things. He said this nation, if they're pricked with something even as simple as a thorn, you forgive their sins. And if they intend to do something haram, and they don't do it anymore, you reward them for it. And if they intended to do something good, and you, they didn't end up doing it, you still reward them for it. And after every single situation, Prophet Musa, or Prophet Musa he said, Oh Allah, let it be my nation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would tell him, that's the nation of Prophet Muhammad That's our nation. And then he would list the other one. And he would tell him, Oh Musa, sorry, that's the nation of Prophet Muhammad So at the end, Prophet Musa, he said this profound statement. He said, Oh Allah, then let me be from the nation of the Prophet Muhammad We underestimate how amazing and how honorable it is for us to be from the nation of the Prophet Muhammad Because aside from just this hadith, like imagine Sayyidina Musa, who was in and of himself a prophet and a messenger, wanted to be from our nation. Aside from that, it's our nation whose our prophet is going to give shafa'a on the Day of Judgment. He's going to give intercession. It's our prophet who has this beloved sunnah. The amount of hasanat and the virtue of following the sunnah is immaculate. And it's our prophet who, from his hands, you're going to drink from the hawd. Every nation will drink from his hands, from that fountain of al-kawthar. It's our prophet who, if he doesn't tell the angels, of course, from the power of Allah, he's the one who the angels will open the gates of Jannah to. They won't open it to anyone else except for him. And imagine the honor that our prophet Muhammad has. If you say, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The amount of hasanat, the hiring of your ranks, and the forgiveness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends 10 salawat upon you. Just imagine, aside from the angels and the Prophet, that's the honor that comes from just being from the nation of the Prophet Muhammad who is essentially the best creation, the best Prophet, and the best messenger. And we are the best nation, because we are the nation of the Prophet Muhammad And because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has entrusted our nation with this duty of spreading the deen of Islam, of calling people to the deen of Islam. And I know it's hard to give up straight up da'wah to people. Like, you can't just tell people, oh, accept Islam. Like, it's hard. But it doesn't have to be direct. A lot of it can be indirect. 
Because we as Muslims, especially my hijabi sisters out there, we represent Islam. We're a walking symbol. So your actions, the way you act around people, the way you help people, this is very. This is in and of itself a da'wah. It's calling people to Islam. And then when you're around people who are Muslimin, it's upon you to tell people if they're doing something wrong. In a way that's respectful, of course. Because a lot of people don't know. Like Sometimes you might be doing something and you generally don't know what's wrong. That's calling people to do good and forbidding people from doing evil. Because that's what makes us the best nation. And it's striving because the Prophet Muhammad he says that you're not truly a believer unless you wish for your brother what you wish for yourself. So how can we not wish this beautiful deen for everyone in this world? This beautiful like religion, honestly, that's it's so liberating. So we need to wish it for others. And in a way that's respectful, we need to call people to the deen of Islam. Because that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet told us that we are the best nation. And kind of going back to the beginning when we talked about when the Prophet Muhammad first got revelation, like the first two verses, aside from the first five from Surah Al-Alaq, the Prophet Muhammad when he was told Qubfa Anzir, what information did he have? He literally just had that, the fact that he was the Prophet of Allah, that Jibreel was the messenger, and these couple of verses. So essentially, when we call people to Islam, we don't have to be scholars. We don't have to be completely knowledgeable. Not to say, though, that, of course, the information that you're conveying has to be correct. Like, don't give false fatawa. Don't go around telling people things you, have no, you don't know because you're going to be asked about what you tell people. But you know the basics. You know about salah. You know about zakat. You know about psalm. The stuff that you know and that you know is 100% authentic, share that with people. And that's essentially like when you see that with the Prophet Muhammad he didn't have that much, but it's you work with what you have. But honestly, this is a topic that is so beloved. And when I heard someone was explaining this, it literally gave me goosebumps the first time I listened to it. Because we don't we don't recognize this honor. We don't see this blessing. But I hope that this topic touched close to everyone's hearts just as much as I love it. Um, and I hope it was easy to understand and it all kind of like came in together at the end. But that's pretty much it for this week's episode. And inshallah, I'll see you and inshallah Adam with me next time. Um, next week, inshallah, for next week's episode. Salam.